Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, Amazon's big loss and the first of what could become a wave of retail bankruptcies. But first, a viral hurricane. So America is obviously in the midst of a logistical nightmare right now due to the coronavirus pandemic. But in some places, it might be about to get even worse. Not because of the expected viral resurgence in the fall, but because of hurricanes. Yeah, remember those? Well, hurricane season officially begins in less than a month, and forecasters are expecting a particularly active season. Axios National Political Reporter Jonathan Swan reports that FEMA is currently drafting a document for how states and cities should handle a hurricane in 2020, and the complications are endless. For example, How do you evacuate people from hurricane zones while maintaining six feet of social distance? How much extra shelter space would be needed to house people when you can no longer afford to safely crowd into schools or community centers? How do you protect the most vulnerable people like the elderly and those with underlying conditions? How do you pay for all the added expenses at a time when state and local budgets are sinking deeper and deeper underwater, let alone source all of the extra personal protective equipment? In short, America may soon face a natural disaster on top of an existing catastrophe. So let's dig in with Axios reporter Jonathan Swan. Jonathan, you talk about this draft document and all of these questions that FEMA is currently facing. Does it have answers yet? No. The sense I got from talking to the boss of FEMA, Pete Gaynor, is they're trying. I mean, they're writing this playbook. But you've got to remember, nobody has ever had to do this before. I mean, literally, there is no playbook for this. He has to think about now, like, let's just take a hurricane like Katrina, which overwhelmed the federal government. He now has to consider the possibility that you could have a Katrina type event this year. The early forecasts suggest a more active than usual Atlantic hurricane season. And then you have to overlay on top of that questions such as, How do you evacuate people from hurricane zones while maintaining six feet of social distancing? How do you shelter people? So one thing they're having to figure out now with the state is how much additional shelter space do you need? What they normally do is cram people into auditoriums, schools, gyms, cheek by jowl. Can't do that anymore. So how much additional shelter do you need? This nightmarish prospect of evacuating a hospital. In a typical circumstance, you would just evacuate the patient. Now they've got to make sure they evacuate the patients, the medical equipment like ventilators, pharmaceuticals that allow ventilators to be used on patients in ICUs. So look, they're trying to basically provide a playbook for the state. But if a big hurricane happens, you're going to have states like potentially Florida, South Carolina, coming to the federal government in a state of desperation And they're just going to have to improvise. You know, he says he's highly confident now, but you cannot project confidence when you have already a situation where FEMA is stretched to the brink. Their manpower and resources are stretched to the brink. They're struggling to coordinate personal protective equipment under a once in a century pandemic. The idea that you could possibly have all your ducks in a row for a COVID-infected hurricane season is just not realistic. Swan, one of the things that's always been questioned in, in this administration, obviously there have been some major hurricanes, think the one in Houston, obviously the one in Puerto Rico that have been dealt with uh, with differing degrees of competence, certainly not much in Puerto Rico. Where is Gaynor in terms of kind of uh, totem pole in the White House right now? Is he somebody who Trump does have a lot of confidence in? Or is he somebody who, like so many others, could get replaced in two months? And thus somebody new would have to be figuring this out. Gaynor's in a pretty good position because what happened was, look, FEMA was not set up to run the federal government response to a pandemic. However, 
such was the president and his inner circle's lack of confidence in Alex Azar, who runs the Department of Health and Human Services, that they took the responsibility for, for COVID away from him and gave it to Pete Gaynor and FEMA. So Gaynor is in charge of the federal government coordination of the COVID response. And so he actually does have a lot of power and a lot of, at this point anyway, trust from the White House. But asterisk, all it takes is, you know, one day, one week, one bad story. And this very capricious president could turn on him. You talk in the story about this potential battle over equipment, things like PPE, which we have heard so much about. States have been complaining about how hard it's been to get. Do we have any indication yet if there were to be a hurricane, Florida, Louisiana, pick a state, they would need extra PPE, as you say, because you've got to evacuate hospitals and then you've got issues of shelter, et cetera. Do those extra supplies exist yet? Is FEMA stockpiling them? You've got to remember the PPE at the moment is coming in from overseas. So it's not like there's this giant well of PPE in America which people can leisurely dip into and distribute orderly across the state. You've got the situation that you're seeing. Take one example, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. He's in a situation where he has been ordering thousands of coronavirus tests from South Korea. He used the Maryland National Guard to protect them in a secure, undisclosed location because he was worried about redirection. So that's why I guess I'm asking, when you hear a governor, whether it be Hogan or Charlie Baker, Massachusetts, or Andrew Cuomo say, we're competing with the federal government for these supplies, is FEMA part of what they're competing with? In other words, is FEMA basically trying to get some of this stuff in the advent of a possible hurricane or other natural disaster? It's actually very hard to get to the bottom of this. I've tried because you've got governors like Colorado's Jared Polis, Massachusetts' Charlie Baker, Larry Hogan of Maryland, all essentially accusing the federal government of diverting their supplies and saying they have to protect them. FEMA just in the most blanket terms denies that. They say they do not, have not, and will not divert orders of personal protective equipment and that if this is happening to any governor, they should report to their FEMA region. And Hogan has sort of backed off this recently and started to praise FEMA. It's actually very hard to know where the truth lies. You have each side saying completely different things, but the governors have certainly felt that that was happening and have taken these extraordinary precautions. So I guess the bigger picture point is, in order to successfully respond to a hurricane and a pandemic, and maybe wildfires and floods and earthquakes, you need seamless federal-state cooperation. And to put it mildly, that is not exactly happening right now. Lots of talk about a phase four stimulus plan at some point. And there's this big question in there if there will be more money for state and local governments. I wonder, how does this play into it? In other words, some of the states who have been basically suggesting we don't necessarily need it are a lot of the states that are in the hurricane zone. If a storm comes, could that change the kind of political calculus when it comes to a phase four stimulus, depending on when the storm comes versus when that plan ultimately hits Congress? Oh, of course it could. What people don't remember is most states, as a matter of statute, have to keep a balanced budget. Look around, pick a state, it doesn't really matter. They're all in dire financial circumstances right now, even states that have been moderately spared from the virus. So if you put a natural disaster on top of that situation, of course, you're going to see that situation change. The bigger picture with the next phase of the stimulus is right now, anyway, based on my conversations with top Republicans in the Senate, don't hold your breath. Axios is Jonathan Swan, who writes the Sunday night sneak peek newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech. 
from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Tim Bray, a well-known computer engineer who has just quit Amazon after nearly six years with the company. His reason? Quote, dismay with Amazon's treatment of whistleblowers who've been sounding the alarm about safety conditions in Amazon warehouses tied to COVID-19. In an open letter, Bray called the company, quote, chicken shit for bad-mouthing and firing such employees who Amazon has claimed are spreading misinformation. Now, Bray is important because he is best known as the father of XML, a type of code that underlies modern search engines. And he writes, quote, Firing whistleblowers isn't just a side effect of macroeconomic forces, nor is it intrinsic to the function of free markets. It's evidence of a vein of toxicity running through the company culture. I choose to neither serve nor drink that poison. And finally today, apparel retailer J. Crew has filed for bankruptcy protection, nearly nine years after being taken private by a pair of private equity firms. Why it matters is that this is likely the leading edge of a whole spate of retail bankruptcies, particularly for companies that were already struggling before the pandemic. For example, don't be surprised to see Neiman Marcus follow suit within days. Now for J. Crew specifically, the trouble was twofold. First, that old buyout, it larded on tons of debt that the company was never really able to get a handle on. Two, the coronavirus pandemic did create market volatility that stopped J. Crew from doing an IPO for Madewell, which was its fast-growing denim brand. And in theory, the proceeds from that IPO were going to help it handle the debt. The bottom line, when shopping malls do finally reopen, there will be a bunch of empty storefronts. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Orange Juice Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.